0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Ridgeview Church. My name is Alex Barrett. I'm the the lead pastor here, and we're so glad you decided uh, to join us. Um, you'll see here on the screen, and if you received a the program, um, there's a listening guide in there. You can take notes and also just kind of check everything that Ben had just mentioned. Uh, this is the image of the series that we started a few weeks ago, and the idea of beginning again is how do we experience do overs in life? Uh, different areas of our life where we kind of like to start again. Begin again, experience some newness. Life can really uh, dry us out. It can be frustrating. It can be tiring. I've been thinking about the month of May, and it's like, how much more can you fit in one month, right? May is exhausting, and we still have at least one more week. But life can feel like that, just kind of a drain over time. But the idea is, how do you experience life in a way that's more than just trying to overcome the drain uh, or the dread of life? Uh, how do you experience something, something more? And here at Ridgeview, uh, we continually, each week and in our time together, and as we hang out, we want to continue to look to God to help us, to give us perspective on how to not just survive or get through this life, but, but how to really make it uh, the most that opportunities as he's given us, how to buy up this life, how to make the most of every minute uh, that we have. Uh, that can sound like a graduation speech, like somebody saying that to people, Uh, It can seem like it's something that we aspire to, but we we don't experience. But the way that you move forward in life is is actually you begin to take God at his word with some little things. You begin to consider if this is true, and I put it into practice, what if that actually changes the way I experience things? What if that changes the way I approach things? And over time, as you do that with little things, uh, you build up faith. And as you build up faith, you can do it in bigger things. You could trust God in bigger ways. And that's really the story of of how God meets us and and he helps us. And so that's what this series has been all about. Today, we're gonna talk about work. The grind of life that we spend doing so much of our time is working. Now, how many of you would say you have a job that's pretty tiring or exhausting? Anybody? Okay, all of us. How many of you are students? You know, you go to school. How many of you would say sometimes that is tiring and exhausting? We have some homeschool kids, and they're not sure if they can do that, because they're like, is mom looking, you know, or dad, like, but, but it's true, uh, e- even schoolwork, homework, everything we do at work, everything we do to prep for work um, can be overwhelming, and it's, it's for sure time-consuming. And I was thinking about, like, the terms for work, which is really interesting, like, work is also called the grind. Hey, what do you do with most of your life? I go to something that I call the grind, and we encourage young people to, you know, go to college and get a job and experience the grind for the rest of your life, right? Uh, it's also just called labor. You're part of the labor force. Labor, it's, it's work, and it's hard work. Um, toil, work is like toil. Uh, another definition or synonym that I found is drudgery. It's just, it's just, it's just drudgery. And I'm going to wake up tomorrow and experience it all over again. So even the labels of work are, are very interesting. And all of us have different experiences. There's good days at work, there's bad days. We could be in a good career, we could be in a bad career. Um, we could be experiencing certain highs like where we finally reach the pinnacle of our work. And if you're older in life, you wanna get to the point where you can look back and see the fruit and get to experience what they, what they call retirement. But sometimes at the end of our working days, we are so withered because of what work was like that we hardly can enjoy it. And so there's, there's got to be something more. And I think what's facing uh, a lot of us today is the dread and and burnout. Uh, the dread of just, I, I'm not looking forward to this, I'm gonna define that in a moment, but but just this is something that I'm doing with most of my time and I, it's very difficult. And then because I'm doing something that I don't really wanna do with most of my time, um, I'm, I'm exhausted. It doesn't matter how long the weekend is, I start the next week, and I'm still tired. Already, I mentioned Monday, and some of you are like, come on, pastor. Like, why'd you? We have one day left. But that, that's how life feels. And so I found an article on in Business Insider, which talked about warning signs that you're burnt out at work. And I thought, you know, that's interesting. I wonder how many of these, like myself, that I, I experience and how many you might experience. So let's look at these. These are in sets of five. Uh, here's the first. Setting your alarm too early to use the snooze button. okay. This one I like. Does anybody do that like on purpose? Set it way early just so you could snooze it a few? Okay, you're crazy, all of you. That one I don't get, but I understand. It's just the drudgery's calling, so just snooze again, okay? Number two, uh, being depleted after work. You just get home and you just wanna sit down and you wanna watch a show and you want somebody to bring your food to you. If your toddler can do it, you will just go in the fridge, just grab whatever's in there. You're depleted. Number three, uh, inconsistent sleep patterns, okay? How many of you wake up and you're like, is there daylight yet? I think that's daylight. And you look at the clock and it's 1.30 in the morning. And you're just thinking of all you have to do. And now you can't shut your brain down because the brain is woken up. Inconsistent sleep. Number four, uh, feeling liberated after a Friday at work. Isn't it funny, especially in our country, so much is about Friday, like Friday's the greatest day. Of your life. Why? Because you're almost done with work. And then Monday is usually the worst day of your life because it starts. But we're talking about Monday through Friday of the worst and Saturday and Sunday of the best, especially if you get to come to church on Sunday. Right? All right. There was crickets right there. Number five, uh, explaining your job with fine. This is what I call the classic uh, spousal uh, interaction. How was work? It was fine. Which kind of means, like, I'm not ready to talk about it. I'm too tired to talk about it. I don't know if I ever want to talk about it. It's just fine. And can you get the toddler to get me some food too, right? All right, next five. Uh, Dreading every Monday. Talk about that. Number seven, fantasizing about quitting. (laughs) Now, I I have done this. Right after college, I was in a job that was a grind. Part of it was I just was working for the first time. When you're young and you work 40 hours, you're like, how do people do it? Like it's Thursday afternoon and you're like at eight o'clock at night, you're like falling asleep. But I remember my first job, I just used to think like, what if I just go in and say, I'm done? And then like walk out. And then I realized like I'm married and I need a paycheck. And as liberating as that would feel, like I got to go home and explain to my wife how I don't know what we're going to do to eat anymore. And we don't have a toddler yet to get us food out of the fridge. Okay, number eight, not wanting to explain your job to people. Now, if, if that happens, like, you just, you don't need people to explain it. They, there's something you don't need to know about what they do. You say, oh, interesting. Mm, they work for the government or something. Okay, number nine, disregarding how you treat coworkers or customers. This happens, you just start treating people, and you're like, I'm just overwhelmed. This is just how it is. And you, it, you can't even kind of reconcile it in your head. Number 10, constantly feeling overwhelmed. Now, any of you... Recognize any of this in you. Okay. Let's go to 11. Let's, let's see if we can feel any better. <laughs> Rarely feeling like you're making progress. This can happen even if you're younger in school. You ever had that assignment and you just, you're like, yes, I finished it. And you realize like you're one quarter of the way done. It's a struggle. Uh, number 12, being cynical. Who's cynical out there? I have a little cynical radar. Okay, I, I see you. See you, okay. Number 13, I frequently losing your temper. That happens a lot. Number 14, over complaining. When work gets really bad or your perspective at work is really bad, you could have like the greatest gift that your your work gives you. Friday, we're gonna have an all you can eat barbecue and I'd be like, yeah, but I don't want barbecue. Like I really wanted Italian. That This is not good enough. That can happen. Number 15, noticing workers are hesitant around you so this is a dead giveaway when you walk in if everyone runs and hides you might be you know you might be burnt out you might be stressed out you might be impacting uh, everyone around you So all 15 of these some we experience more than others um, looking forward to Friday not looking forward to Monday that's like normal That's like in our culture that's just the cycle of, of like life but even that can kind of set up disappointment. Most of the time people are like how you doing if it's on a Monday it's Monday. And everybody knows what that means. Like, it's pretty terrible. Let's just hope for Tuesday, right? But that's not a real way to live. Like, that's not hopeful. It's not even helpful for us. Uh, There's many opportunities God gives us on every day. And so how do we make the most of it? But you get to these point on these 15, whether you have five, whether you have one, whether you have 12, or how many? Where again, the more you experience this kind of burnout, this frustration, the weight of things, this is really when you get into dread. And so I'm talking about work, but really dread is even bigger than work. Dread is an experience that you have related to the responsibilities that you've been given, no matter what they are. Dread is also related to your situation in life. Work flows in and out of that, but it can also just be your life, you experience dread. So I wanna define what dread is, and there's, there's two basic kinds. Number one is a striking fear that I'm going into a fight I can't win. The idea of you're failing and there's no victory and there's no success here. I'm going and it's like I've already lost. I've been coaching my my son's soccer team for the last few months. And one thing that I'm noticing with certain boys and players is they look at the other team and just by their sheer size or jersey color even sometimes, whoa, that's bright yellow, We don't do good against yellow. (laughs) Or he goes to school with me. We're not gonna win that. And already, like they're dreading the opponent just from a bunch of different factors. But we experience that in life too. We get into situations where we've already decided there's no success here. There's no progress here. It could be related to things that we want to see change and we keep failing. Could be related to others and we want them to change and they're not. Could be related to the same things that we keep doing, and we hope that changes and it's staying the same. That leads to this first one. The second is this. I fear that I'm going to spend my life on the meaningless. I think this ramps up dread even more than the first one. Because there's something about not being able to make progress, but there's also something about, am I wasting my life doing something that doesn't actually matter? I think that's the biggest thing that costs us as humans, is the the thought that we actually aren't making a difference. Or with all the time that we're spending, there's nothing to show for our life. And this is why it's so important to look at God's design and to look at God's plan. Because what God does, he actually gives us purpose. And he gives us meaning even in the mundane of work, even in the hard things, even in the responsibilities that no one else sees. But we get into these two, life is very difficult. Now, I will say this, and this is just a, a heads up. Most men really struggle with this, especially related to work. Women, you work and you, you saw the same thing, but you're relationally tied in a different way than men are. Men's biggest fear in their life is that they have nothing to show for it, that it was a waste. So many men... If you're here and you are facing this and experiencing this, God wants to speak to you today to call you forward, to lead out, to take care of the things that God's given you. Because our lives do matter. And you can make a difference. But sometimes work has a way of draining the very life out of us. And we feel like, what's the point? It can feel like such a waste. And so what I want to do is I want to shift the shift gears and, and talk about how to, how to move forward in the, the face of dread, how to not ignore it, but how to deal with it. And I wanna talk about the story of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. And if you've never heard the story of Nehemiah, there's a book about him called Nehemiah. The Bible sometimes helps you in those ways. It's like, you wanna learn about Nehemiah, find the book that's called his name and you'll learn. But he's got very interesting experiences, and a lot of it is faced on responsibility that he's given by God in the middle of very difficult circumstances. So again, it's bigger than work. It's just your purpose, your meaning, the responsibilities that God's given you. And out of the story of Nehemiah, we find very helpful lessons. So we're going to dig in, but I want to give you a little bit of a background. Uh, The books of Ezra and Nehemiah, they're in the Old Testament, and they described the return of the Israelites from the land of Babylon back to Jerusalem. Babylon's held, held the Jewish people in, in captivity. And so they were in exile, living in a foreign land, experiencing tremendous pressure, terrible discouragement, being away from their hometown, being away from what they knew, being away from the temple that God had, had given them. But what began to happen from this exile of being in Babylon is people, because of changes of kings and powers, Uh, people were being released to go back to Jerusalem. And you see many waves in the Old Testament of exiles returning to Jerusalem from these foreign lands in which they were captive. So the Old Testament is written really for our encouragement because you see it again, the people of God facing tremendous pressure, tremendous burdens, but seeing how God through history, through leaders, through government, through power, through victories, through humility, working in a way that God's people still were able to move forward. And that's what you see in the middle of these books in Ezra and Nehemiah. And so people were, were coming out of exile back to their homeland. But as you can imagine, going back to their homeland with the people that were in the homeland that didn't care about it. And so most of the city of Jerusalem and all the areas around was destroyed. So they were in exile. They come back and like you'd expect, everything that they had known was not the same. Uh, the city was in, was in shambles. And it went from much excitement to just being dashed with discouragement. And the task of how do we rebuild our home, the place that we love, that's been utterly destroyed? How can we ever experience what we used to know? How will our children have a place for their future? How will their, their children and my grandchildren, how will they exist? And you can imagine all of the worries that, that came with that. So in the middle of this story, there was an Israelite named Nehemiah, At the time, he lived about 700 miles away in Persia. So he wasn't in Jerusalem, he was in Persia, and he served the Persian king as a cupbearer. And the cupbearer's job essentially was, you served the king his wine. He's a king. He wants wine. He doesn't drink it himself. He's somebody who gives him the cup. But because he's the king, he's also under threat. And so the cupbearer would literally try the wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned. Now talk about a stressful job. Like if you're successful, you die. You think about it. Thank you, cupbearer. You protected me. You're dead. And now I can live. Very stressful job. But the thing about the cupbearers, they also had tremendous amount of authority related to the king because they were the person that was the closest to the king at so many times because anywhere the king needed to be, anytime the king needed a drink or something, the cupbearer was there. It was like a personal assistant that was always near the king. And Nehemiah served this role. What was happening is because Nia, Nehemiah was an Israelite and he knew that people were going back to Jerusalem, his home, he was beginning to just, in his heart, get this burden for his homeland, get his, this burden for all these exiles that were returning. And he's 700 miles away, distant, unknowing what's happening there, unknowing the role he should have. He has great authority and responsibilities as cupbearer. God raised him up to this position but he's torn, he's in the middle of this this tension. And so Nehemiah, in the beginning of the book, Nehemiah 1, begins to get burdened and, and wants to get a picture of what's happening. And here's the first scripture of the report. This is Nehemiah talking, he says, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, and this is like one of Nehemiah's brothers, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile, is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So as you can imagine, Nehemiah was not thinking the best. He knows what was happening from those that were in Jerusalem destroying the city. But like most of us, sometimes you're just holding on to hope. And so he asks for a news report. And the news report is is bleak. It's not good. It's a lot like our news today. You ever open it? And you're like, that. why did I do that? But in this instance, it is real. This is a real-time report. The people, they're not doing good. Our city, the walls that protect the city are in shambles, they're destroyed. So anyone could take it back at any time. And that's the report that Nehemiah had. He was burdened, wanted to figure out what was going on. He got the report that he was fearful of. But notice, as the scriptures go on, Nehemiah had a certain approach that's very helpful for us. In the middle of dread, in the middle of things that we don't want to face, in the middle of the hard things, the realities, Nehemiah gives us us an example. The first example is this. Ask God for help. When you face dread in your life, when you face trouble, when you feel overwhelmed, it's very easy to want to turn to your friend, your best friend, to a counselor, to somebody who you can talk to, you could research, you could read books, you could do all sorts of things, but nothing can replace the help that God can give you. So Nehemiah, in just this reality check that he had had, he asked God for help. Nehemiah 1.4, the story continues. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. God had Nehemiah's attention Why? Because Nehemiah faced something that was beyond him. Anytime you face something beyond you that you don't know how to handle, that's beyond your scope of understanding, that's out of the experience that you've had previously in your life, God allows that to happen so you can turn to him and ask him for help like you've never asked before. This happened in the life of Nehemiah. He faced a trial he had never faced and he turned to God. He wept, he pleaded, he fasted. The idea of fasting is I don't even want to eat to get distracted from the fact that I need you and I need your help. And as he asked God for help in the scriptures following, you see that that he, he praised God. He was reminded who God was. He confessed his own sin. He confessed the sin of the people. It's just the way of God. I desperately need your help. I need you to come through and we surrender to you. We don't want anything to hinder the work that you want to do, but we're in a real trouble here. If you feel like that in your life, You're not the first one, and you're not the only one. And just like people like Nehemiah before us, God helped him. He will help you. So if you're stuck, begin with praying and asking God. If you don't have a relationship with God and you've never prayed, it doesn't have to be some holy, out-of-body experience where it's weird. It could just be, God, I need your help. Is that easy to say? Yeah, it's easy to say, but it's hard to do, right? Because what it means is I don't have all of the help. I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the resources, but that's why it's such an important step because the only way you can get help is when you settle that you cannot help yourself. And Nehemiah was here and he's an example for us. So that's the first thing, ask God for help. The second from Nehemiah's example is to assess the mess. Now, full disclosure when things sometimes get complicated in my life or overwhelming or stressful, sometimes I just kind of want to act like that didn't happen. Anyone do that? Like, we're not going to talk about it. If We don't talk about it. It's not real. I'm not going to think about it. If I don't think about it, it's not real. And then the thought comes, and you're like, well, I'm not, no, I'm not thinking about that. And then it comes again. No, I told you, don't. Don't you think about that. So sometimes it's like the ostrich, like you just want to stick your hand, head in, the, is that an ostrich? Okay just want to make sure I had the right animal reference there. Um, for those zoologists that like can't listen, got it wrong. Um, is zoologist the right word? Okay, I'm just going to stop. Yeah. But ostrich sticks the head in the sand. And we can be like that in life. Like I just, I don't want to face it. I don't want to talk about it. But you can't make progress in any of the dread in your life unless you assess what's really going on. You have to face it. You have to know. Because only then can you then specifically take steps forward? And as you assess more mess and it becomes clear, then you ask God for help in that specific mess, and then you take steps forward. And as more mess comes, you pray and ask God for help in that specific mess, he gives the help, and you move forward. And it keeps happening again and again. So Nehemiah went from this place of just desperation, God, I need your help, but he did not stay there. He did not become passive. He prayed, he recognized who God was, but then he moved to action. And this is part of him assessing the mess. Fast forward to Nehemiah 2.11 says this. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. One of the beautiful things that happens is Nehemiah is burdened and he talks to the king who he's the cupbearer. And the scriptures say, I was trying to hide my sadness, but the king saw me and said, why are you sad? Basically like, hey, this is supposed to be a happy place. You're bringing us all down. What's wrong with you? he's like, oh, I, I'm sorry. I was trying not to be sad. Well, what's wrong? And he prayed and asked God, and, and he explained, and this king of Persia released Nehemiah to go to Jerusalem. You want to know if asking God for help counts? God can turn the very hearts of a king of a foreign land to work towards his purposes. He can do it in the big things. He can do it in the small things. And so he went for three days to Jerusalem just figure out what's happening. He couldn't stay in Persia. 700-mile journey is very long. It's very tiring. It's exhausting. He left the comfort of the palace to get in the middle of the rubble. And that's what we have to do in life. If you want to make progress, you have to leave a lot of times what you're comfortable in, what's convenient to you. And you have to go to the rubble so God can begin to rebuild things. That's exactly what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah 2.15 goes on. It says, then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. So he didn't just go to Jerusalem and he's just staying at a distance. So, yeah, man, it looks bad. There's a lot of smoke. There's a lot of rocks and rubble. No, he's getting in there. He's getting dirty. He's climbing. He's just excavating and seeing all that's happening because he needs to know what is the job that needs to be done? What's the job that we need to move forward? How do we make the most of this opportunity. God has turned the heart of the king to release me to be a help. And how will I be a help? Well, I have to assess the mess. So he went to Jerusalem. God begins to work. He didn't distance himself from the problem. He ran to it. He wanted to see what was really going on. This can also be the approach sometimes in my, my finances. You know, you ever anyone ever balance your checkbook? Anyone ever do that? It's very wise. At the end of the month, you want to know where your money is, but our finance can be a mess too, right? So sometimes it's like, you know what? I don't need to check it at the end of the month because there's another month coming and it all resets magically, you know, this fairy dust. But if you don't check it, it can be very messy. It's the same principle. Just by ignoring it doesn't mean the mess goes away. Just like in relationships, if there's messiness in relationships, problems in relationships, they don't go away, do they? No, they, they grow. So you have to assess. So ask God for help with the dread you face. Assess the mess. Run towards the problems and ask God for help. The third, from Nehemiah's example, is to get started. Notice the movement here is to action. Nehemiah 2. This is Nehemiah getting into motion. He says, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, it's how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Now derision here." is talking about the the people who are still in Jerusalem from the foreign lands, Babylonians and all sorts of people left over that are mocking the Jewish people, that are mocking the Israelites saying, look, how do you like your city? Do you like what we've done with the place? You know, and they're, they're mocking them. Derision literally means abuse. They're being abused verbally, threatened. The enemy's all around them still. But notice... The assessing the mess didn't just lead to like, yep, we've got a huge problem. We can get there too in life, right? Like we assess it, but then we stop. Like, yep, it's terrible. See you later. It's terrible. There's nothing we can do. No, Nehemiah assessed the mess and then he he got started. And he says, Come, let us build the wall. This needs to be done. This needs to be completed. This needs to happen. We need to build this thing. Now, God has put you in places, in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, where everybody is waiting for somebody to do something that will bring good. Through history, the people that God raises up are his followers to do good. If you're a Christ follower, and you follow him with everything in your life, there will be multiple situations in your life where everyone around you, is in the middle of dread, is burdened and discouraged, and they're waiting for somebody to bring hope. We want to be the type of church and the type of people that's us. Nehemiah was this type of person. He got to work. He got started. He gave a vision. He gave the perspective of what could God do in this situation. How could he use us to make a difference? How can we rebuild something that is broken? It's the same in our culture. We can look around and all we see is the brokenness. And all we see are the problems. And it's easy to either head in the sand or to run. Once you ask God for help and you assess the mess, you can get started on being part of a rebuilding that God wants to do. And he wants to do it right here and right now, right where we live. And the, the scripture goes on. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthen their hands for the good work. There's some really powerful leadership principles here. First, Nehemiah is calling the people forward. Let's rebuild this wall. He's giving them a vision. Second, he's telling them of the past experiences that God has come through. If you want to strengthen people, remind them of what God has done. Always remember the work God has done in your life. Because in the present, when you're discouraged and you can't see anything good happen, sometimes you need to look back and say, you know what? Five years ago, I was in a really tough situation, and God came through. And five years ago, in this situation, he provided people that encouraged me and helped me, and I got through it. And you know what? If I go five years before that, 10 years ago, I could see the same thing. And that's what Nehemiah is doing. He gave the people a vision, and then he reminded them, look at what God has done. Look at what the king said. God changed the heart of the king of Persia for our behalf. Very helpful. Reminding of the experiences. And then notice what happened. They said, let us rise up and build. What did he do? He gave them courage. Nehemiah encouraged them. In the middle of dread for all sorts of groups and people, what they need are people to come and encourage them. You can do this. With God's help, we can do this. We can move forward. In the family, as your kids get discouraged, parents, your role is to encourage them, to build them up. Let them see how God can use them. Let them see that the trouble they're facing, God will use for their good. You don't bail them out, but you encourage them. You help them. You strengthen them. Spouses, you do that for each other. Husbands, if your wife is struggling, she feels like she's not good enough, she's struggling as a mom in her job, everything she's doing, she's just weighed down, encourage her. She doesn't need instruction. She needs encouragement. Think of all the ways what your spouse does, what your wife does to to help you. Women, men are in the grind of, of work. They come home tired most days. And you're probably waiting. Just, I can't wait for us to talk. And that's the last thing any man wants to do. On most days, but especially after work. And so what you can do, is give your husband a little space and the first thing that you could say instead of the things that he may or may not be doing or should be doing is you say, you know what, hun? I really appreciate what you do. Thank you for sacrificing for our family. If you do that, all of a sudden, your husband will, what do you need, honey? I'm your man, right? You know what I'm talking about, husbands. Your, your wife encourages you you're like fired up. That's how God made us. But that's what Nehemiah's doing. He's he's talking to the people. He's strengthening them. He's encouraging them in the middle of the rubble. It's not gotten better yet. There's no wall. But notice they strengthened their hands for the good work. There's a few ways you can strengthen your own hands for the good work. It always starts with the beginning. You go to God for help. Primarily in the Christian life, if you want God to help you, you need to get into his word. You need to read the scriptures. That's how he helps you primarily. It's his perspective. It's the truth. It's what aligns you, what helps set direction for your life. You want your hands to be strengthened for the hard things. Spend time in God's word. If you've never read the book of Nehemiah, read that. Just read it through. One chapter at a time, once a day. The next is you pray and ask God, God, I'm reading your word, trying to Take this in and learn. Will you help me learn? And then, God, I I need your help. And then just ask him for help. As you begin to ask help and offload the things that you're burdened and holding on to, like that song, my hands wide open, you begin to, to unclench and the stress can lessen because God is taking the burden, which is his. He will take care of you. So spend time with him in word and prayer. Another one is you need to get time with encouraging followers of Christ on a regular basis. That's why we do church. That's why we do groups. That's why we hang out. That's why we do sports camp. That's why we do meetups. That's why we do events. That's why we do door hangers, because we need to be around people that we're doing something together. Primarily, sometimes it's just to encourage each other. So if all you have in your life, primarily, is you go to work and you come home and you're just around your circle of family, you're missing out on life, that God wants to give you through others. Why do I say that? Because the the scriptures command us. We cannot give up meeting and encouraging and being together. So if you're feeling, experiencing that dread, God wants to use the people, the community to help you. That will strengthen your hands. And last, in this theme, you, you have to get started. Part of why we feel so weak is because we are still sitting down waiting for somebody to say, do it! Whoa, hey. That was a little, I should have given a little disclaimer, right? We're just waiting. Now, if somebody would just grab me by the hand, pull me off the couch, kick me out the door, I'll do it. It's not gonna happen. Because you have to take responsibility for your own life. If you don't take responsibility, you don't grow. You have to be faithful with the things God's given you. So sometimes you can be strengthened by His word, and you be strengthened by prayer, and you can be strengthened by God's people and community and friendships, but there comes a point where you have to get up and take action. If you don't, you'll never make progress. So this is the lessons from Nehemiah. Last, push through the challenges by relying on God. And this is everything I just said about how he strengthens your hands. It just continues day after day, week after week. There's no magic formula, but these are the things that God uses to grow us. So push through the challenges by relying on God. Nehemiah 4 goes on, says, in Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. So remember how hopeful it was? Remember the vision, the encouragement, the people strengthened their hands. They're ready to go. And what happens? This is terrible. There's no hope. Are you those are you that person? Like everyone's around you're like, "Ah, it stinks." If you're not, there might be others who are. But that's what happens. You get all fired up and then you get to do the work and it's like, "Yeah, this is this, my hands hurt. I've got blisters. I'm sweaty, I'm tired, I'm dirty. This isn't fun." This reminds me every time I do yard work. I'm like, "Can't wait to do something in the yard." Yeah, I don't like it. The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble by ourselves. We will not be able to rebuild the wall. Nehemiah, thanks for everything. Thanks for all you've said. Thanks for everything you've done. But you know, I think we could make rubble work. You know, we could put a little rubble over here. We'll make it look nice. We'll pile maybe a shape, a cool shape of rubble here. And then we'll make like two rubble, like a gateway of rubble. And they're beginning to think, like, well, maybe we don't need to rebuild. Verse 11, our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. So now the pressure is even on. Not only are they discouraged because there's too much rubble, but now the enemy is mounting a way to get their power, their territory back, how to push back the Israelites for good. So all of this strategizing is, is happening. And if you're a leader, if you're a human, at this point, you're discouraged. God... I asked you for help. I assessed the mess. I got to work, but nobody wants to do anything. You might find this, that happens at your workplace. You do all sorts of things. that It feels like you're the only one working. It's very discouraging, but notice what Nehemiah does. Verse 14, it says, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people. So everyone, I want everyone to hear this. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great, and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Stuff was beginning to unravel again. The dread was rising, the fear of failure, the fear of this being meaningless. There's too much rubble. There's nothing we can show for it. And Nehemiah says, do not give up. Remember the Lord. This, I think, is the most important perspective in the middle of whatever we face in our state, in our community, in your home, in your relationships, in your work, in your responsibilities. If you remember the Lord, it's never too late for him to do a work. There is tremendous hope because we have the Lord Jesus. It's not our own strategies. It's not our own formulas for success. It's not the book that we read. It's not the degrees that we've earned. It's because we can remember the almighty one. Nehemiah Nehemiah reminds us who is great and awesome. That means there's nobody that compares. And then fight. He gives strength. this isn't on the screen, but I want to read Nehemiah 4.17. This is one of my favorite scriptures. So he's talking to these people. They were building on the wall And here's the description. It says, Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. I love that. What that means is it's going to be a battle to fight in the middle of dread, it's going to be a battle to move forward when you're discouraged. It's gonna be a battle when you feel let down by God and disappointed in him. The same with others. What the scripture is saying is part of remembering the Lord is you fight with the truth that God is with you. He will help you. And at the same time, you can't stop working. You have to keep going. You have to keep moving forward with what God gives you. A final promise I wanna leave to you, which is another one of my favorite verses. It's Joshua 1.9, it's this, if we rely on God, he leads us beyond the dread. This is what Joshua 1.9 says. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you've never memorized this verse, I encourage you to memorize that. You could write it on a piece of paper, fold it up, keep it in your pocket, put it in your wallet, put it on your dashboard, wherever you're gonna see it. But this is a reminder, if you look to God, he will help you. If you've never decided to follow Jesus, this isn't just an option that's out of bounds for you. What you need to do is you need to decide to turn your life over to him, to surrender your life to him. That means I don't want to keep bearing my own burdens by myself and trying to get through the dread and survive this life. I need God's help. And when you ask him for help, just like Nehemiah did, he will help you if you're interested in deciding to follow Jesus for the first time, let us know on your connection card. Let us know that, and we'll follow up with you. But this is a promise for God's people. You choose strength to be courageous, to not be frightened, to not turn back, be dismayed, because God is with you. And, and he will ultimately help you. So I know there's many of you here who this, you know, you're, you're feeling this, like the weight of life, the burdens, the troubles, the problems, you're not alone. Not only is this verse true and real, God will help you, but here at Ridgeview Church, we're a community that wants to come alongside you and help. And so if you feel stuck and discouraged, you need prayer, you need advice, you need counsel on how to move forward in your life. That's why we're here as a church. That's why we have a community. Because in this, we need the encouragement of each other. And so let us know on your connection card how we can help. Come by the next step area, talk to somebody. If you need it, get prayer. We will pray for you right after this service. But you don't, you don't have to be alone. I want to invite the, the band to come up as I close out the service, walk through a couple next steps. I've mentioned um, the first one. This is just kind of an action step for you. So you go beyond just listening to a guy like myself speak to what could you do in your own life this week? So the first is a read through Nehemiah to get more guidance from his example. If you don't know where Nehemiah is and you have a Bible, Just go to the table of contents. There's no shame in that. Just look it up. Look for Nehemiah, find the page number, and and turn to it. If you don't have a Bible, those are out on the next step table. So read through that. Uh, Read it this week or over the next two weeks um, before June, whatever you decide. But take a step, read through the scriptures itself. And then the second next step is this week as I face dread, I need to do one of these things. Are you just at the point where you need to ask God for help? And you just really need to practice that on a daily basis. Uh, do you need to assess the mess? Like, you know that there's some areas in your life right now where things are unraveling and they're falling apart and you need to give time to it. Maybe that's you or, or the last one, just get started. You know a step and you haven't taken it yet. Could be at work, could be in a relationship, could be in your finance, it could be in any area where you have a responsibility. So just circle, what what is it that you need to do and decide to, to take that? I wanna invite you back next week. You'll get to hear from Joel Berry. And Joel is gonna be sharing about investing and inviting. How can we be the type of people that can do a lot of what Nehemiah does? Talk to people in a way that could give them hope, invest in their life, give them perspective, and then invite them to be a part of God's plan for their life. And so we'll talk about that next week. Joel will do that. And then I'll be back the next week, um, right before sports camp, to talk really about how can we invest and invite and use sports camp as a way to really bridge Uh, to our community. So the next two weeks are going to be about how to engage the people in your life that God has placed in your path so you can make a difference.